Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This week on Truth and Movies, Crime Caper, The Old Man and the Gun, starring Robert Redford in reportedly his final role. Look her in the eye and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun like this. Sorry to Bother You, an absurdist workplace comedy slash social political satire from first-time director Boots Riley. Well, you don't talk weight enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. And in film club, The Sting. The sleek 70s comedy that by a fair margin is the biggest hit of Robert Redford's career to date. Thinking on too good, you're killing a guy you owe money to. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Michael Leader here, sitting in the host seat, sitting across from Adam Woodward of Little White Lies. Hello. And Manuela Lazic. Welcome back, Manuela. Hey. How are we all doing me. today, this early December morning? Not bad. Uh, excited to talk about some pretty interesting films today. A really good week, right? Yeah, pretty pretty strong. It is strong. But first, a bit of housekeeping, a message from our friends in Europe. All this month, Art Kino Festival are showcasing films from Europe's most prestigious film festivals, all available to watch for free. Watch, vote for your favourites, and you could win a trip to Switzerland to attend the 2019 Locarno Festival. Watch now at artkinofestival.com. But should we crack on with the films this week? Yeah, let's. Mm-hmm. First up, we have The Old Man and the Gun. So Robert Redford stars in this crime drama based on a New Yorker story as Forrest Tucker, a septuagenarian bank robber in the middle of an audacious run of heists. Casey Affleck is the cop tracking down Forrest and his over-the-hill gang, but here's the man himself walking his 60-something squeeze, Sissy Spacek, through his methods. You have style. I do. Well, uh, tell me what that is then. My style? Yeah. Okay, well, let's take this place. This place is not my style. I'd say it was a bank. And instead of that counter up there, that was really a teller's window. And that lady standing there was the teller behind the window. And you just walk in, real calm, and you find yourself a spot, and you sit down, just like we're sitting here. And you wait, and you watch. And that may take a couple of hours, might take a couple of days even, but you wait. It's got to feel right. The timing has to feel right. And when it does feel right, you make your move. So you walk right up, Look her in the eye and you say, ma'am, this is a robbery. And you show her the gun like this. Such a gentleman. (laughs) Robert Redford there, he's been in a few films in his time. He has. Adam, Um, tee this one up for us. Yeah, this is uh, so. This is the new film by David Lowry, who we've had on the podcast yeah. before when uh, his previous film, A Ghost Story, came out a couple of years ago. It's a little bit of a change of pace for him. It's probably more similar in tone and visually to his first film, mm-hmm. which was uh, Ain't Them Body Saints with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. And Casey Affleck again appears in this one. And it feels like the kind of film that 
you could only have written for Robert Redford. Mm. The pair actually go quite a way back, as I think one of David Lowry's previous like short films was part of the Sundance Lab mm. and, and was kind of supported by Robert Redford. And they've worked together before, I think, on Pete's Dragon. Pete's Dragon, yeah. Which is movie. a wonderful family movie, quite an unexpected gem, actually. And this one, yeah, you just get this sense of a filmmaker who is on a bit of a streak themselves and really kind of knows, you know the history, I guess, of, of the person that they're dealing with, you know, the, the, the person that they've got in this lead role. And uh, Robert Redford, just kind of very easy doing this thing. You know, nothing about this movie feels kind of like forced or they're kind of reaching for something. Um, it's just like a really kind of smooth... I mean, as that, like, loungy jazz mm-hmm. score suggests, it's like a really cool, kind of a slow movie. Not Not because mm-hmm. he's like an old character, but just in the way that you don't get films like this being made really anymore mm-hmm. and it feels like it is from a different era. It's an unhurried movie, yeah. isn't it? We've talked before about hangout movies. Films are just great to watch, to mm. hang out with the characters as they go about doing their business and that's what this movie is. It's such a textured movie. If you want to live inside a film, uh, I would like to live inside this one. Manuela, mm. what did you think of, of Old Man and the Gun? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I wish I had seen it on the big screen because I think it gets uh. a lot from the cinematography and uh, and just you know it's Robert Redford like you want to see him huge on a big screen because that's what the star is but yeah in terms of hangout movie I agree that it's it has a slow pace and all that but I think what also makes it quite meditative is that like Lowry's previous film A Ghost Story it's essentially about time mm-hmm. I had interviewed Lowry for A Ghost Story and we ended up talking about time and cinema and how cinema really captures the passing of time and you know, ghosts. And yeah. um, and in this film, obviously, uh, Redford is not a ghost yet. <laughs> but in a way, he's, uh, you know, he's old. And he's uh, there's the ghost of all his past roles over mm. him. And in that film, I think there are many moments when we sense that this man, the character, but also Redford, is, is uh, arriving at a point where he's starting to be not really a ghost of himself, because that's cruel, because he's still fresh and... He can still rob banks. And I think Lowry really... He, it's not just that he understands Redford's persona. He understands what it means to be such a massive star with such a massive following throughout his life and to have been in such iconic roles because I think it's very much about an icon. Mm-hmm. And the character of Ross Tucker is a legend, just like Jeremiah Johnson at the end of the mm-hmm. film, uh, starring Robert Redford as well, becomes a legend. And I think this film captures that beautifully and without being pitying this, it's more mm. like celebrating the fact that an actor like that could become such a, like a, he doesn't have to do that much because he's Robert Redford. Like you get it, you know what it means. You know what it means to have this guy be a gentleman, Robbie mm. Banks, because you know him. And if it's his last film, that's a beautiful way to go. But I hope it's not the last one because <laughs> I'm selfish. <laughs> I kind of hope it is because... It's such a nice cap to his yeah. career yeah. and his legacy. And it's weird. I mean, he's been acting recently. He was in the J.C. Chanda film, All Is Lost, mm-hmm. and, and he got mm-hmm. you know plaudits for that a couple of years ago. And it's not like he's he's been shy of acting recently, but it kind of feels, this may be a bit of a, uh, a reach for a bit of a tangent, but it kind of feels to me like this film feels like when Johnny Cash came back towards the end of his career and started covering, like, older songs and some contemporary songs as well like his cover of um, Nine Inch Nails is Hurt Mm -hmm. Mm. you know when that song is sung by a young man Mm. it has a totally different meaning to when it's sung by an old man I think it's the same with this it's like if it's a young man going around robbing banks there's this like 
it's it's got I guess more like sex appeal and it's this you know story yeah. of like a rebel and and here I don't know it, it takes on a different meaning it's like there's more despair mm. to the character there's it's slightly more nihilistic and yeah. you know obviously if if you know who Rob Redford is and you've seen any of his films there are all these like Easter eggs and all these uh, references to his past characters and and all these famous roles but even if you haven't seen that you still I just think because he's a brilliant performer and he and he inhabits this this world and this character so well you do get this feeling of like yeah just sort of despair and a guy coming to the end of the road mm-hmm. it's so interesting that it is packed with easter eggs it's such a film nerd movie and the the details it's shot on films so it has this incredible grain texture to it the font uh, by yeah. font designer teddy blanks there's a great article on littlewhitelies.com you know, at the moment about the title design and how that harks back to previous films in mm-hmm. Rob redwood's career but it is also such a an accessible good old movie yeah mm-hmm. like they used to make them if you want to call it like that and it has actors who you've probably not seen on screen for years getting yeah. good meaty roles sissy spacek i can't remember the last time i saw her just hanging out on screen mm. with an actor you know to the yeah and his guy um so forrest tucker the the main character's gang is is comprised of him tom waits and danny glover yeah mm. which is just a, a wonderful trio and actually yeah danny glover makes making his Two appearances this week. And he's in Sorry to Bother You yeah, as well. And yeah. Tom Waits, you know, was just in Buster Scruggs, the Coen Brothers anthology yeah. movie. So he's having a pretty good year as well. Yeah, I love, I love seeing the old guys doing stuff. <laughs> I love seeing them doing stuff and it's not like Wild Dogs or Old Dogs yeah. or whatever those films are called. And it's not like straight to DVD stuff, yeah. Which this could easily be, right? <laughs> yeah. There was the yeah. film Going in Style a few years ago, which oh, was yeah. Pacino, Alan Alder, etc. Uh, Arkin, not Alder. And, um, yeah, it's like these great, they call them Grey Pound movies, mm-hmm. where, where they're going for that older audience. So it's like, let's team up Michael Caine and Tim Allen and, you know, mm-hmm. Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman, whoever else. And yeah. Just mm-hmm. kind of like loosely hang together a sort of caper plot Mm. but this is just totally not that and that speaks to something about david lowry's style he's quite a cinephile as a filmmaker he really cares about texture he cares about framing he cares about music daniel hart who composed the score here has composed scores for all of lowry's films to date or at least the last couple and this you talk about smooth jazz but it's got this rich sense of the period it's set well not actually not really rich sense of the period it's set in 1981 there's a sense of passing of between two periods Mm. uh, sort of classic to modern day but he has this emotional core. I, I think, thinking back on this movie, it's a little soft. It doesn't take this character to task. I read an interview with David Lowry who says that the real Forrest Tucker that the New Yorker article was based on was probably a much more of a wrongan mm-hmm. than the gentleman bank robber that we meet in this film, mm-hmm. who has created his own myth and legend about the way he robs banks, the way he breaks out of prison and so on, the people he's left behind. And would this film have benefited from that or is it just better as a little trifle to yeah. hang out It's with? interesting because it's obviously referential to those older films mm-hmm. uh, from the 70s starring Redford and playing similar types of character and those films are often you know quite joyful and fun and then there are intense moments of violence and very very harrowing moments or very surprising and Mm. this film the old man and the gun doesn't really have that there are moments where you don't expect it but you're afraid that it's going to happen and doesn't really but i guess that ties into with uh the idea of it being about this old man trying to see what he wants to do now that he's older and he can't really... And all his friends are, like, deciding to stop. So Mm. it's not really about, oh, let's stop this man from living this uh, outcast life. It's not really about that. It's about him. 
deciding that's what he wants to do. So it's not really about the law trying to arrest him. And I think that's why the, the main relationship in this film is not really between Redford and Spacek. It's more between Redford and Casey Affleck mm-hmm. as the policeman or detective trying to arrest him because it's very much like a romance. Mm-hmm. Like it's very much... Uh, Casey Affleck at some point is like, he wants to capture him, but does he want to capture him? Because mm-hmm. he loves the pursuit and yeah. he, and it defines him. And I find this film really moving about that, about having a purpose. And does Redford have a purpose? And does Affleck has a purpose? Like in that in that film... And they're really coming to terms with that in a beautiful, really, I think, uh, existential way, which you don't really expect in those films. They're mm-hmm. not always, like, they always have a tinge of existentialism, but this is, like, really heavy on it, and I like it for that. In, in a subtle way, rather than ending with them. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. but it's just, like, it's on the screen the whole time. Uh-huh. But that doesn't distract you from the pleasures of, you know, seeing... Uh, bank robber thing. Like, it's great, uh, but I find it moving in that sense. It's a great entry into that genre of old folks doing what they do best. Just yeah. Over and over again in the film. It's like right next to Sully, right next to the yeah, post. Oh my God. <laughs> I think that's a better one of the three, but that's my opinion. <laughs> Any final comments, Adam, before we give it to our scores? No, not really. I, I would just say if, if you're expecting a more yeah, more violent and action packed like heist movie, this mm. isn't maybe it. And I think the gun in the title is obviously a bit of a well, it's a bit of a trap, really, and, mm-hmm. and I like the way it's kind of set throughout the film, and, and yes, yeah, so it sort of constantly surprises you in terms of playing up this old kind of character trope of the gentleman bank robber, and like subverts that occasionally, but feels like it's a really like a suitable closer to his mm-hmm. career. Great. Well, our, our friend Hannah Woodhead for Little White Lies called it a balm for the soul. Yeah. But what do we think about it? Um, Manuel, I'll come to you first for your scores in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. So I was quite excited for it, I would say for in anticipation, because I really liked the ghost story. And, uh, and that was obviously a great, exciting idea to have Redford with Lowry. Enjoyment, I would say uh, probably four as well, because I had a great time. I think it could have been somehow more... I don't want to say forceful, that's not the right word, but more direct and more pointed in some aspects. And in retrospect, I would say probably, I don't want to be too harsh, but I would probably say three, because I do think it it hasn't stuck in my memory that much. But then again, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. So, yeah. Adam? (laughs) I I think a clean sweep of fours for me. I think a clean sweep for me as well, although with that caveat that you touch on there, Manuel, that I'd like to revisit this and see whether it sticks with me. Yeah. But in the moment, gosh, I was mm. in, in heaven. Of course, we'll be back with Robert Redford later in Film Club for The Sting. But that was The Old Man and the Gun. And up next, we have a young man with a voice. It's Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is the debut film from Boots Riley and stars Lakeith Stanfield as Cassius Green, a young lad taking on a telemarketing job. The odds seem stacked against Cassius from the off, but a word of advice comes from an older colleague, played by Danny Glover. Hey, young blood, let me give you a tip. Use your white voice. Man, I ain't got no white voice. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. You have a white voice in there, you can use it. It's like being pulled over by the police. Oh, no, I just use my regular voice when that happens. I just say, back the fuck up off the car and don't nobody get out. All right, man, I'm just trying to give you some game. You want to make some money here? Then read the script with a white voice. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer, this is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? 
Danny Glover and Lakeith Stanfield there from Sorry to Bother You, which presents itself up front as a workplace satire on telemarketing and code switching and race relations, but becomes much more than that as things go on. Manuela, how did you approach this film? Well, I just sat in my seat because I didn't know what to expect, really. And uh, turns out it's a sort of Marxist satire about how capitalism and racism are really tied together and how being an activist is... Uh, a difficult thing because you have your ideals and you have your real life and you have your romance and you have all those things and mm-hmm. I think one thing I have to say for this movie that I really like is that it's very how can I say that it's very strong in its opinion it doesn't really compromise mm-hmm. on anything which I think eventually is a little bit against it which I know it sounds bad but what I mean is that it's very insist- insistent and mm-hmm. very strong and it put me off a little, I have to say. Interesting. But I but I I do think it has so many strong things for it, going mm-hmm. for it. And um and as a first feature, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. One thing that I will say as well is that it really does feel a bit like a first film, like a student film. Mm-hmm. It, from the style to um yeah, the editing and things like that. But that kind of goes into the background when you just watch it because mm-hmm. it's so much happening. There are some strong performances. Steven Yeun, I mean, I'm sorry, I couldn't deal with this. He plays a guy called Squeeze. I mean, yeah. Is this in a good way you couldn't deal with Steven Yeun? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was incredible. It was beautiful. But also, I think, to his credit, but at the same time, no offense, I think Armie Hammer has never been better than this, where he plays a sort of horrible, typical capitalist white man. And Mm -hmm. he's really, really good. I was really taken by that. But um, in terms of the um, the critique of it, it's quite hard to argue with because it's its points are valid. Greed is difficult. You want to succeed, but you don't want to compromise, and that's difficult. But at the same time, I found it I found a weakness in its central character, mm-hmm. who was, to my understanding, quite wishy washy. Okay. Which I know was kind of the point, I suppose. But mm-hmm. at the same time, that makes for quite a, to me, not engaging situation. Mm-hmm. Because, for instance, the Stephen character is much more clear and much more understandable to me. Because his ideals, he's like the proper leftist guy, and are very clear. And uh, and they are, he's not compromising to the insane extent that Cassius Green is. Mm. And I don't understand why Cassius Green would go as far. Like there, there are many moments in it, basically, where I think that the film is kind of trying to have its cake and eat too. Uh-huh. So he takes on this white voice with yeah. a view to doing better, maybe rising up the ranks in this telemarketing job. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's union disputes and they're trying to unionize. That's what Stephen Yun, his yeah. character, is trying to pull together. So Cassius is given this conflict between rallying with the troops or mm. rising to the top and, and, and making more money. Yeah, And then that is... Pretty much only the first half of the movie, really. Yeah, then, that's true. so much more. Boots Riley starts throwing more and more into the cake mix, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that would it would be uncharitable to spoil any of those things. Yeah, but of uh, you mentioned feels like a first film. It's got such energy and such yeah. confidence to it. The music is incredible. Boots Riley was a musician beforehand. The score was by Tune Yards, um, and it's got mm. this really wonky hip hop, noisy, dancey soundtrack to it. It's fantastic, but it also is indebted to so many filmmakers that he clearly mm. is is referencing. You've got elements of well, Office Space, Mike Judge. You've got, of course, Spike Lee with Bamboozled, and mm-hmm. um, 
even a dash of Brazil, Terry Gilliam, surreal absurdism in there yeah, as well. I say. Adam, what, what did you make of Sorry to Bother You? Well, in a past life, I actually worked in a telemarketing company mm. briefly. What did you sell? Conservatories Ooh. and double glazing. <laughs> I wasn't very good. There was a guy who worked in the office, though, who was, I guess, what you would call like a power seller. Mm-hmm. And I never really like got him. He was just sort of like very serene sat kind of on his own did his own thing very quietly and I was like a lot younger and basically just dicking about but um, so yeah this this is maybe a little bit quite close to home to me actually and the first sort of 30 odd minutes of the film when it is set in that environment I just thought it was really really well realised and not just the kind of premise of, of the character trying to like work his way up the ladder but just the actual the setting itself and, and the way he kind of brings that to life and I think it's interesting having that, like contrasting that really mundane setting initially to to obviously what follows, which is this kind of surreal mm. and and hellish alternate reality. I guess. Yeah. I mean, he he creates this sense of like magical realism or this sense of you know everything being a little bit off kilter in the film. And I and I think it's really. I'd love to rewatch it to see how he actually structures it in a way that eases you into that mm-hmm. because it doesn't just throw you into this strange world. Initially, it feels very, very close to what we, you know, know and see around us, and and then obviously goes to this quite a kind of extreme end to that. But unfortunately for me, I think I think it's the point at which it basically like jumps off a cliff that mm. it slightly lost it mm-hmm. um, for me. As you say, it's a film with a lot of energy. It's very angry as well, and I totally get you know the message and what and what he's going for here, Boots Riley. But all throughout, I just kept thinking. I wish I was just watching like a Spike Lee movie or even like a Michel Gondry movie. And and there is yeah. the point where he, he references Michel Gondry in you know, in a very direct way. And you're thinking, is this still kind of like homage? Is it like crossed over into pastiche? Like what what is he trying to do here? And I think that's maybe where you touched upon it mm. feeling like a student film. Mm. Yeah. If he re- reined in some of that stuff a little bit more and ultimately I don't think it really adds up to more than the sum of its influences. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to be you know, unique in five or six different ways. There, there's no other film of this scale coming out this year that's about a union dispute in a workplace. There's Okay, there's Black Klansman, but it's still very rare for a film to yeah. tackle code switching in this specific way. Likewise, the, the musical tones of the film. You mentioned Spike Jones; it's very interesting, and, and, and uh, Michelle Gondry, actually. The, the key visual motif of this film, which when it first happens is actually quite stunning, is, is is where he's literally breaking into people's lives when he calls them as a telemarketer and he his de- he and his desk and his headset just drop into mm-hmm. people's living rooms. That's such a... It's being John Malkovich. It's right? very being John yeah, Malkovich. Or anything is. like Michelle Gondry's music videos as well. Mm. It's, yeah. I don't think it's like ripping off those movies or derivative necessarily of those movies. It's doing its own thing, mm-hmm. totally. And even if you haven't seen those films, you know, you might not think, oh, this is like totally original but I just didn't think it really like brought all those disparate things together mm-hmm. in a way that make like a whole cohesive yeah. argument or mm. it just feels it's very like you know haphazard in the way it's formed and I guess that is partly intentional um, I mean the end mm. of the film is like Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days or something it like goes fully <laughs> fully dystopian yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 Um, in a way that while the character arcs are quite predictable yeah. the actual flow of the film or where it goes is incredibly unpredictable yeah really. I think that's my problem with it is that the characters are so in a way simple like there's this it's a shame that you spend so much time on the setting and the style and 
bigger message and don't try and develop these characters. My main problem, actually, is the female character played by Tessa Thompson mm. called... Um, what's her name? Detroit. Detroit. I think her role is incredibly thin mm-hmm. and yet she has this obviously role in the romantic arc this is one of those films where there's like the main story and then like oh yeah let's throw a romantic arc on top which means so little and it does not make sense for the main character Cassius Green to care that much about it and I found that so like we shouldn't have characters like this now in 2018 mm-hmm. and especially in a film that's claiming to be so political mm-hmm. and so you know, Marxist and defending mm-hmm. minorities. This woman is like an artist and she spends her time making strange, you know, experimental art. That's great. I love it. Do it. But then like at the same time, she's living with a boyfriend and they have no money. And it's like he has no job and she's clearly not trying to make money either. And it feels like she's just there to be the cool girlfriend with uh, art aspirations And then there's this whole arc where she's like, oh, you are doing the job. It's bad. And, like, what is she doing? She's just there making art and not trying to help. And, like, the whole way she's written is... I mean, anyway, I'm I'm really angry about this. I was so upset. And it's so... I think if I had seen this movie when I was younger, I would not have realized because so many films are like that, where Mm -hmm. there's a female and you're like, oh, yeah, well, she looks cool and she has cool earrings. So that's, I guess that's a character trait. It's not. like, (laughs) But that's the thing. It's it's another film to waste Tessa Thompson uh, after being so great in Dear White People. How many years ago was that now? Three or four? Four, Gosh, and then she's been in the Creed movies. She's Mm. in Thor Ragnarok being pretty good, but it's quite a small supporting role. And again here, she looks great in earrings and all these various Mm get-ups she has. But her plot line, the fact that she's an artist and it's sort of Mm. compares how you're selling out to the, the white majority in, yeah. in art as well. It doesn't really go anywhere. The right. other thing as well is that her art is really political and trying to change things. And that's what the film itself is wanting to do, right? It's a film, it's art. And clearly, Boots Riley wants to do that. Uh, and yet he's like minimizing her to this like subplot. There's a bit where... So you kind of like see little glimpses of her art and there's a bit where he visits her after mm-hmm. hours and yeah. she's setting up for an installation. It's all like big kind of sculptures of Africa mm-hmm. and, and like you say you can t- clearly tell she's very politically engaged and um, and there's a bit later on where she's having her like big art show opening and she does this like weird performance piece mm-hmm. and I couldn't work out whether that was like supposed to be mocking her or whether we're supposed mm-hmm. to be laughing with her in some way I, I, no I just felt that kind of came out of nowhere or we were meant to be pitying her in some way as well because she's yeah. you know, her relationship with her you know the, the rich white people she's selling her mm. art to having to get by it's mm. yeah I think the message there isn't as clear as it could be considering it's such a loud movie everywhere yeah. else but anyway let's put our scores <laughs> on this Adam I'll come to you first well, this movie was really hyped up by a lot mm-hmm. of people. I mean, I've, I've seen people saying this is like the film of the year. And mm. so I was really looking forward to it. I'd say probably a four in anticipation and I think a three in enjoyment and probably a three in, in retrospect. Although I think Boots Riley is, is super talented and, and would love to see what, what he does next. Mm-hmm. Manuela? Yeah, I would say three across the board because I too was somewhat excited for it, although I had my doubts, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to say, because I, I heard of uh, reactions to it. Enjoyment... Yeah, free because I I was uh, I don't think it's a film you're supposed to always have a great time watching like throughout, which is great. I don't mind that, but yeah, I had my doubts about certain things during the film, and in retrospect, free because I'm excited for what he does next, basically, because I think he's got so much energy and so many ideas, and he's clearly a smart guy, 
So, yeah, I hope maybe then he will have learned from making this one and make something somewhat more tied together. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, Adam. This was very hyped for me, so four in anticipation. And then three and three, I think the soundtrack is something to go and revisit. Mm. I think I'd love to see what Boots Riley does next. It's got a great cast. I think people are clearly finding things in this film that just weren't there for me. So four, three, three. Yeah, I think it, just as, as a final note on this one, I think had it just kind of come out in isolation of things like Black Klansman mm. and even Get Out, and some of Spike Lee's early, I mean, Chirac, for example, which very few people saw, but mm-hmm. is, is doing very similar things to this. I think maybe it would have a bigger impact for me, but just, yeah, feels like it doesn't quite get its message across in as potent a way as those films. Mm. Mm. Well, that was Sorry to Bother You. Up next, we have Film Club. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we're back with Robert Redford for 1973's The Sting, which reunited Redford, Paul Newman and director George Roy Hill following Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Set in the 1930s, The Sting follows two con men who enact a complex plot to bring down a mob boss played by Robert Shaw. Your boss is quite a card player, Mr. Kelly. How does he do it? He cheats. Well, in that case, I'll keep my money and we'll just have another game. You don't have any to keep. Here's your wallet. You hired a dame to take it from you. Shaw's been planning to beat your game for months. He's just been waiting for you to cheat him so he could clip you. Who do you think you're talking to, Aaron Boy? Nobody sets me up. Take him back to the baggage room. Put one in his ear. I say there were four witnesses at that table. And go back. Get another goddamn son of a bitch. So we'll dump him in the first tunnel we hit. Doyle, we're going to be in the station in a couple of minutes. Think it'll look too good you killing a guy you owe money to. There's better ways of taking him down. What an incredible voice Robert Shaw has, right? Mm-hmm. Well, The Sting was a huge hit on release. It would be in the top 20 highest grossing films domestically uh, if you adjusted for inflation. It also won a bunch of Oscars that year. Best Picture, Best Director. I'd like to open with a bit of a quiz. Do we yeah. know what else was nominated for Oscar that year? So what are we, 1973? Um, 1973. So it's the year between The Godfathers, so the year Francis oh. Ford Coppola took off and made two movies. The Way We Were? No. Oh, Convers- should have. It's a, it's a good year. <laughs> the conversation. No. No, it's 74. Uh, 
<laughs> I think. Um, oh, good. Putting you on the spot here. So there's yeah. a something give with, us clues. Something with Barbara Streisand. Nothing with Barbara Streisand. There so a there's a way. Swedish movie. A Swedish movie. Yeah, an Ingmar Bergman oh. movie. Oh, Seventh Seal. No, it's Cries and Whispers. Oh, okay. Yeah. George Lucas was nominated for director and best picture for American Graffiti. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one of the few horror films to be nominated for best picture that year, The Exorcist. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, also that year, best director Bernardo Bertolucci was nominated oh. for, uh, for Last Tango, Last Tango in Paris. In Paris. So what an iconic, legendary year for films. Yeah. And then this one wins a huge hit in the 1970s. Something that would become a mainstay for Robert Redford and Paul Newman in their careers. What did we make of it this time out? Manuela, was this the first watch for you? It was my first watch. I watched it last night and it was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, just Paul Newman. Like, no one has a face like Paul Newman. (laughs) And I think the lighting in that movie. So I read that the film style was inspired by 30s films, but Mm -hmm. also using modern techniques. And that's why the lighting is very strange because it's kind of lighted for a black and white film, Mm -hmm. but it's in color. Mm -hmm. So it makes for pretty high contrast and that could be bad and some people think it's bad but to me that makes everyone look so surreal Mm. and Paul Newman especially because he has insane features obviously he looks like he was made by a computer before computers (laughs) which is great I don't mind that but I really liked it I thought that um, obviously it's an interesting film to compare with The Old Man and the Gun because it does that thing where Robert Redford is this uh, sort of grifter that Mm. um, like he doesn't seem to have a goal an Mm. end goal except like getting money for the next thing until he can waste it very fast in stupid ways. So that was pretty refreshing. The main thing that I really like in this movie is how the two main characters, so Redford's Johnny Hooker, great name, and Paul Newman's Harry Gondorf are together planning con, but at the same time there's always a suspicion that one is going to cheat on the other one. Mm -hmm. So that creates an interesting dynamic. And I read that at first uh, some producers were worried about that casting because at the time... Everybody knew that Newman and Redford were such great friends. Mm-hmm. So they thought that people wouldn't buy it and they wouldn't believe in the suspense of the film of uh, are they tricking each other or not? And um, turns out that was a mistake because obviously the film made a lot of money. But yeah, I really like that dynamic and there's something sort of homoerotic in there that's great. Um <laughs> It's funny you mention Paul Newman off the bat because I think this is Paul Newman's film more than a Robert Redford film. And it makes me realise yeah. he's so good in No Man and the Gun seeing Robert Redford as the front and centre star for a movie. But the movies I think of are where he is in a in a duo. You think mm. of All the President's Men, Butch and Sundance and this. Adam, is that the same for you or what's, what's it yeah, like? Yeah, I guess Paul Newman's in this slightly less. But Redford is, yeah, is yeah, probably definitely. has a bit more screen time. He was nominated time. for lead actor that year, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying about the pairing because I think Jack Nicholson was in, in talks mm-hmm. to play the Redford character at one point and it really does rely on the audience's awareness of these two as celebrities, as friends, as co-stars prior to this. And yeah, just wonderful how it kind of subverts that and keeps teasing that suggestion that maybe they're not quite on the same side. And you and you really don't find that out until the very end, mm-hmm. um, which way it ends up going. I think it's fascinating talking about something you picked up on earlier with The Old Man and the Gun and just seeing this film on a big screen. Mm. So I saw The Old Man and the Gun on a big screen, saw The Sting on a small screen. Something about movie stars, I don't know what it is and um, how you can kind of place your finger on it, but the idea that like certain people's faces and, and just... Mm you know figures are meant to be on like a big screen Definitely. and Robert Redford and Paul Newman are two of those people mm-hmm. like 
you, you don't know what it is quite about them, but they just work on as big a screen as possible. Yeah, they look unreal. They do, and yeah. and that is what part of what being a movie star is. It's this really ephemeral thing that you can't quite understand, and, and mm. but it just connects with you and it speaks to you in this way. And I think, yeah, putting something like this on a small screen, immediately I, f- I felt this like disconnect between how I would feel, I think, watching it on a bigger screen. Yeah, me too, and that's a shame. So one day we'll go and see it on big screen. I do think there's this thing about stardom where maybe people don't really talk about that these days, but it really is about, I don't want to say most of the time, but a lot of the time, big stars, stars that their face sells a movie, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible or Jerry Maguire, that doesn't happen anymore. But it was about having a face, a huge face, that takes the whole screen. Yeah. And that is unique and iconic and you, you can't miss it. That's why you like that they look so much better than you. And that's mm-hmm. why you want them to be better than you and different. There's, of course, a different type of stars. Like Jennifer Lawrence, she's more... Obviously, she's beautiful. I'm not saying that. But like she's more reaching to people who are more normal. And she elevates that. But I think big stars like Paul Newman and Robert Redford, they are all about being these golden gods, basically, mm-hmm. because they are like blonde and blue-eyed. And... And there's something about that that I think these days we have lost a bit. Like we have the older Chris's, but that's a different thing. Well, the, the, yeah, you, um, there's another effect there where at the beginning of this film where Robert Redford's meant to be down on his luck and he's kind of a bit scuffed on the street yeah, and great. rolling some guys over for <laughs> some money. And yeah, but you don't trust that he's down on his luck. No, like, he oh could... <laughs> yeah, you're a bit dirty on your face, like it's fine. Whereas if Chris Pine, you mentioned the Chris's, if he was playing that role, you he could yeah. actually rough it up and look yeah. like he's just rolled out of a hedge. Yeah. Whereas Robert Redford looks amazing. Same with Paul Newman at the beginning when he first introduced to uh, to Gondorf. Oh he's, he's meant to be down on his luck, but he's wearing this incredible, what, like, dungaree outfits? Yeah. Just lounging around. It makes me think about changing my wardrobe. You know, I don't think I'd be able to pull it off quite like <laughs> You Paul should Newman. try it, I Michael. mean, the stars are there to inspire us, right? Exactly. But do you think this film had much of an influence or inspiration? It seems to, you know, you, we talk about it, you know, alongside its Best Picture, fellow Best Picture nominees that mm. year. The Exorcist, American Graffiti, these films that are still mm. talked about. The Sting has seemed to disappear it's, a little It's bit. certainly not as iconic as something like Butch Cassidy, which mm. George Roy Hill obviously mm. also directed, and and later stuff like All the President's Men. Mm. I, I don't know why, though. I think it's maybe belongs to a certain period in American cinema, which is also harking back to an early, much earlier period. Mm. So it's set in the kind of 30s, yeah, right? 1936, yeah. But then it's also evoking like ragtime music, which is more popular in the kind of 10s and 20s. It's amazing to think that that Scott Joplin music was relatively unheard at the time, was bringing it back. And you hear The Entertainer and... God, when, when's that not being played somewhere in yeah. Alpha or in a cafe? But that's or something. the entertainer now is, you know, fairly synonymous. I wouldn't even say with this film, but mm-hmm. it's synonymous with that kind of uh, certainly that genre of music, right? And and obviously it was a huge hit in its day. Mm-hmm. This film helped to repopularize yeah. that for a certain audience in the seventies, and mm. I guess it sort of ingrained it into the into the public subconscious then. But yeah, if I were to hear that piece of music. Even even after having seen this, I, I don't think I would immediately think of this film. And I don't know why that is necessarily, but mm-hmm. it does feel like it's a film which it just doesn't seem as naturally iconic as a lot of the other films that these two have been in and that you've mentioned on that list. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
You hear other Redford movies talked about now. You hear about Three Days of the Condor seems to have mm. much more of an influence. Mm. Talked about a lot when he was in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. The Russo brothers there were taking influence from the political thriller mm-hmm. aspects of that and turn Maybe it to a superhero it's, movie. Yes. <laughs> Whereas The Sting, I don't, I don't know, it'd be an interesting one yeah. to see. So are there any filmmakers that want to make The Sting but now? Yeah, that'd be great. I read that at the time when the film came out because it was so popular, it uh, influenced a wave of um, men dressing like them. Oh, like from like the 1930s, 1930s style. Okay. That would be cool. I mean, that's that's nice. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, but uh, I think maybe the reason why we don't know about its influence is because it was such a massive popular hit, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why it's been taken less seriously. It also isn't mm. really about anything, right? That's uh, my other thing with it. To, so, it comes to its conclusion. Yeah, like it's basically guys running around the whole time. Yeah, that's great. I have nothing against that, but it's just yeah, there's not that much going on <laughs> in terms of uh, internal lives for mm. them. And I read that uh, at first Redford didn't want to take it because he felt like the character was just running about. And he was like, I don't really do a lot of acting here. Mm-hmm. And I think he is because acting is uh, just doing things like truthfully. That's great. But he's not really having a lot of emotional life. And that's why the few times when there's emotional moments, they are so impactful. There's a moment when he goes to see a woman and he's quite hesitant because it's like 2 a.m. and... Like, obviously, like, he's really stressed about the next day because that's the day of the sting, and that's why he goes to see her anyway. And that's really moving, and the score really helps because it's a beautiful moment. But um, otherwise, he's really just running around. <laughs> and I think there's nothing wrong with that. It's just an action film yeah. set in, a, in the 30s with grifters. However, that made me think about the fact that there are so few films with women doing mm. this. Widows is an exception. Mm-hmm. Because they do run around and do things. There's literally a character that runs, like that's her thing. That's great. But yeah, I think maybe that's why the film hasn't stayed with us as much. But in terms of an action film and a film about actors really using everything about them, like their bodies, not in a you know sexualized way or anything bad like that, just like as objects that move and make things happen, I think it's delectable and mm-hmm. wonderful. I think it's a great example of that good old movie that you could watch maybe in the space between Christmas and New Year, yeah. cuddle up on the sofa. Even if you can't see it on the big screen, it's great on the small screen. Exactly. Like good movies like they used to make them. Mm. Turn off your motion smoothing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or Tom Cruise will jump through a window and turn it off for you. <laughs> Any final comments, Adam? You know, I think if if you are a fan of Redford and of this era of like New Hollywood, you've got to see this film. It's just kind of perfect. Terrific. So that's The Sting. Pretty good week for movies, really. But Mm. what's happening next week? Next week we have a Netflix movie. It's Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, one of the films of the year. It's finally making its Netflix bow, followed by Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built. And then for Film Club, we're doing The Last Movie. Not The Last Movie, but The Last Movie, (laughs) the Dennis Hopper movie. Let us know what you think of The Last Movie at the usual channels at Truth and Movies on Twitter, Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com or in the comments section at lwlies.com slash podcast. And don't forget to go to artkinofestival.com for some great films from Europe's most prestigious film festivals. That just leaves me to say thank you to Adam Woodward for joining me today. Thank you, thank you Manuela Lazic. Thanks for having me. I've been Michael Leader. And as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.